Welcome to Franchise Voice, the International Franchise Association podcast with your hosts, Bill Meyerling, and I'm Jack Munson. Today we'll be discussing the impact of the war in Ukraine on franchised businesses and the decision of many to cease operations in Russia, as highly reported in the media. We'll dive deep on how all of this works, answer some frequently asked questions, and address common misperceptions about the franchise business model. I'm Dak Munson from Ularity, and joining me once again is Bill Meyerling from the International Franchise Association. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Jack. Today we have two international franchise experts with us who will set the record straight about how franchising works and what this means for business units in these areas. Joining us today are Larry Weinberg, and Bill Edwards. Larry Weinberg is a partner in the business law group at Castles and serves as chair of the firm's franchising group. Larry practices law with specific experience in all forms of franchising, licensing, trademarks, the distribution of goods and services, and providing all the necessary legal services to clients in the franchise industry. Bill Edwards is a global executive and advisor with EGS. He has a four decade career accelerating international growth of more than 40 companies. Bill is an expert on choosing the right global markets for specific brands, country market research, strategic planning, partner due diligence, new country startups, global trend analysis, growing existing company operations, supply chain management, and cultural adaptation. His career covers international operations, executive and entrepreneurial experience in the energy, technology, licensing, food, and beverage, management consulting, and retail sectors. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. Good morning. Good morning, Bill and Jack. Thanks for having us. So let's get right to it. You know, Larry, could you give a general overview of how the franchise business model works and what exactly is a franchise agreement? Yeah, thanks very much, Bill. So, you know, I've been dealing with franchise agreements for 30 plus years. So I take for granted, of course, that everybody understands how they operate. But, uh, you know, the more people you talk to outside of the industry, you realize it's not very clear often how a franchise agreement operates. Essentially, there is a person, an organization, a company that is the brand owner that has developed a uh, recognizable trademark, such as the many brand names we see in the marketplace, and a system, a unique method of doing business. It could be the look of a a restaurant, the look of a store, the, the trade dress, the color scheme, the recipes, the menus, the unique offering, and they bundled that together into what we in the industry call the system. And so a franchise agreement is in a nutshell, the licensing of that trademark and that system from the franchisor, the person that owns that brand and that system to a franchisee often, and most usually in the domestic context, an uninitiated, inexperienced operator who is then trained to use that IP and that system over a defined period of time often many years, but still a defined period of time in exchange for payment. And that in a nutshell is what a franchise is. So the franchisee is the one who invests their capital in the opening and operation of that business. And by definition, the franchisor does not own the franchisee's business and does not run the franchisee's business. The franchisee does that using the system and know-how they've received from the franchisor. How do international franchise agreements differ from those here in the U.S.? Well, conceptually, they are actually pretty similar. It's still the licensing of a brand name 
and a system. But usually when done internationally, it is not done on the basis of a single restaurant or single unit or single business. It's usually done on the basis of finding someone who is larger, more sophisticated in that foreign market and leveraging off their local knowledge and know-how. It could be the customs, the language, the, the business uh, reality on the ground in that market. And so they license that name, that trademark, and that system to the franchisee, who is usually uh, often a sub-franchisor, so themselves sub-licensing to unit holders in that market, or licensing to that group to open any number of stores themselves. Very rarely these days is it just for a single unit. And so by definition, someone franchising into a foreign market is lessening their own risk because, again, it is the franchisee, the sub-franchisees who are investing their capital and their time to own and operate those businesses in the market. And I would also add that an international franchise agreement is often very unique and very customized as opposed to single unit domestic franchise agreements in the United States where uh, the franchisor tries their best to make sure that they are all the same forms of contract. Can't assume that in the international context with these larger groups. So getting this practical for a moment, the media has been reporting uh, since the outset of hostilities in, in Ukraine uh, about companies pulling out of Russia and ceasing operations. Uh, how does that work if a company is franchised? Well, it's, uh, it's a very complicated situation in this case because the, uh, the sanctions are coming from outside the country. Uh, what we'll sometimes see is that there'll be a problem internal to the country, politically, economically, and uh, the government does something to, uh, to cause brands to pull out. In this case, it's, it's foreign sanctions that are uh, causing the brands to re-look re at, their, at their operations in-country. And so they have to default to their franchise agreement to figure out whether they've got any control of that. This is a terrible example of uh, what really is the pros and cons of franchising. When it's a franchised offer, uh, the initial pro from the, um, uh, on the side of the franchisor was that they were always going into that market on the understanding that they were not going to own the businesses in the local market. Those were licensed to someone else who owned and operated them. And so the con on this end, in this situation, is they don't have the right, the legal or practical right often, to just tell the franchisee to stop operating. And that's why you see some brands who have made announcements about what they can do in the franchise context, and yet there are still stores operating in Russia. Larry, is that why we've seen some brands, and I think McDonald's is probably the biggest example, that's been able to close all of its stores in Russia, according to media reports, but then other large brands have not yet closed or, or perhaps they're not able to? And I'll come in on that. The McDonald's situation is very interesting and extremely important. McDonald's went into um, Russia and Eastern Europe many, many years ago, and they went in with corporate stores. They own and operate those, uh, those restaurants, and they have the leases themselves. And so uh, 
this is different than doing a license. This was where they opened and operated all their, their own stores. Now today, I believe McDonald's has about 850 stores in Russia, of which 85% are actually operated by McDonald's itself. They're corporate stores. And because of that, they can cease to act to operate those stores. But as Larry said earlier, their licensees and the other 15% have the uh, decision to whether they want to stop operating or not. And so there are some McDonald's that are still operating and Subway, Burger King, all are licensed. They don't have corporate stores in Russia. So the licensee has the option of saying no if told by the franchisor that they should shut down. So let's go a little deeper on that. You know, if a parent brand wants to shut down operations in Russia, but the franchisee says no, or perhaps is prohibited from doing so by the government, um, you know, could that lead to legal action? We, you know, what recourse does the, the international brand have when, when considering these challenging issues around war? The, the license agreements uh, have clauses in there for uh, ceasing operations and termination. But in the case of Russia, where the rule of law is focused entirely on the local licensee, and it's not a uh, not a an equal situation, then uh, the franchisor has only a certain amount of, of of legal action that they can take, because they won't be supported by the uh, by the government uh, in the country. And we've seen lots of articles in the last few days about uh, people in Russia or, or Russian uh, leaders saying that they're going to nationalize the McDonald's stores or nationalize the ones that have closed. And uh, so you can't count on being able to take legal action in Russia as a foreign franchisor in order to, uh, to, to cause your licensee to shut down operations. I mean, let's let's be candid here. Uh, Russia was always a country where the rule of law was in question, and this has brought that home uh, very much so. Uh, that's the price or the cost or the risk of operating in a totalitarian state. And maybe the world uh, will learn something from this enterprise, notwithstanding the past 35 years of businesses operating pretty freely in that country. Uh, but as Bill mentioned, um, I don't think at this time one could have any hope of getting the Russian courts, forget the government, the courts who may be dictated to what they should do by the government um, to get any assistance there. But most international franchise agreements would not provide any right for a franchisor to terminate the agreement in this situation. Uh, it's just not contemplated. For one thing, the war really isn't even in Russia. The war is somewhere else in Ukraine. Russia just is participating in that war. So our, our, um, our desire to stop doing business in Russia is faced with the impediment that the contract probably doesn't contemplate this. And, it, and our, our franchisee or licensee is probably not doing anything that would constitute a default so that we could terminate it. It might be fall into that category of things called force majeure, an intervening event, a war, a pestilence, a pandemic, for instance, that intervene and um, make performance impossible. And that cuts both ways. 
Um, but usually, if those exist in contracts, and they don't always exist in every contract, and that goes back to what I said earlier about these contracts being very unique, uh, negotiated, different from one another, we cannot generalize and say this is in every contract. But assuming a force majeure is in the contract, then it may suspend the obligations of a party to perform that contract for some period of time. And then maybe termination can arise from that. But at this point in time, we're just weeks into all of this. And no one knows where it's really going to go. You've seen some brands announce that they are going to stop supporting franchisees. Maybe that's based on their ability to suspend performance through force majeure. Maybe that is just a ethical decision that they've made based on the fact that the companies in Russia right now are getting a lot, of, a lot of negative press. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that backlash. And maybe this is more of a reputation management or a long-term branding issue. But for the companies and the, the franchise brands who are facing some sort of backlash for not shutting down their operations in Russia, what should they do right now? I'll take that, Larry. I think they should uh, shut down, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> or they should try to shut down. Because as we've said earlier in this podcast, uh, the franchisor can only ask the uh, local franchisee to shut down. If they won't do it, then, uh, then they cannot force them to. Um, on the other hand, uh, most brands, I noticed there's a, a Yale professor that's following the brands that have ceased operations or trying to and he has his list as of yesterday was over 400 foreign brands of all different types that either ceased operations or tried to cease operations in russia uh, i think for reputational purposes uh, a company has to look very closely at what they're doing and decide whether or not they want to continue to support operations in a country that has done what russia has done i think the legal answer to the question, Jack, is uh, certainly they should be consulting with their legal advisors uh, in country, uh, in the, their home country, uh, examine what the contract says, because as I said, they vary greatly from situation to situation, and determine what their best uh, practical position might be. But ultimately, I agree with Bill that um, most of these companies should probably at this point be looking for the easiest path to stopping to ceasing to operate in Russia or having their franchisees stopping to operate. Now, it may be that these businesses end up nationalized, expropriated without compensation by the Russian government. That will, of course, just result in Russia becoming more of a pariah than it is in is even now but these companies may end up having to walk away from their investments if this long if this does not get sorted out uh, in a relatively positive fashion pretty soon i think because you know it took <clears throat> 30 years to build these businesses it's taken two or three weeks to um, grind them down to dust and um you know there's not not much more to save um Ultimately, if these businesses are nationalized, are run without the support of the franchisor, without the supply chain, without using authorized products and supplies, without keeping up with changes, they will diverge. They will ultimately become something different. And um, 
probably the world will, uh, you know, if Russia continues down this path, the world will turn its back and say, we don't care. My name is Damon Dunn, and I own Dunkin' Donut stores across five states and six major cities. I grew up really poor. The community in which I grew up in, no one owned businesses. There were no relationships and access to capital partners. I've always wanted to go back into lower income communities and say, you can own a business. I founded the Long Beach College Prep Academy that looks for students who are in low income communities that have high academic potential. There's old saying that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that is so critical in being able to impact a life. My name is Damon Dunn. I'm a franchise owner and I'm open for opportunity. do not have corporate stores, corporate operations in Russia. They have a franchisee. Uh, where there are corporate operations, uh, and very few of those, uh, McDonald's is the real primary one. And McDonald's has taken the step of saying that uh, they're going to continue to pay the employees in their restaurants that they own. And the cost for them to continue to do that is about 50 million U.S. dollars a month. Now that, you know, McDonald's is big. They can do that. Smaller franchise brands can't afford to do that. But um, that's only the corporate-owned stores. Now, if we want to talk about supply chain, we have a major problem with supply chain. Uh, the license agreements that I've been involved with and that Larry has written are really tight on what quality of product is sold through the store, the restaurants. And there's such a thing as quality assurance reviews of production facilities for foods and beverages. And those have to be up to U.S. standards. The standards are not lowered in other countries. They have to be up to the standards here. And very quickly, in a situation like this, where you've got a meltdown in the economy, not just in the number of restaurants, uh, you're going to run into quality assurance problems. You're going to run into a situation where the meats and produce coming into the restaurants is not going to meet the quality standards of the franchisor. Uh, in actual fact, if you're not meeting those standards and don't fix it, then I'm sure there's reason to terminate. Not that that would really do much good because you know, you, you can't do much in that way. But uh, supply chain is a huge challenge, especially in the food sector. And it's something that the food brands I've worked with, 16 different ones, are really, really tough on in the countries they operate. And we're gonna see, if not already, and I expect it's already happened, the quality of the products coming into the restaurants is going to decline dramatically. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, but the reality will be the people operating those restaurants uh, will ignore uh, the requirements made by the franchisor. Uh, they won't care. Uh, their customers will have to put up with it for as long as they operate that way, which may be indefinitely. Um, there could be any number of things like that that arise, like um, that amount to a default under the contract. Um, it could be a, it could be that it could be currency issues, the lack of payments. If if uh, the franchisor is not uh, supporting the franchisee in Russia any longer, the franchisee may take the position, "I don't have to pay you." And by the way, I don't have to pay you, and I can't pay you 
because the government has uh, restricted the export of U.S. dollars uh, from Russia. Uh, and then the franchisor really can send all the letters it wants, terminating the contract. Um, but the franchisee will likely ignore that or say it is invalid. And then what is the franchisor to do? There's really nothing practically they can do. If the franchise were to be one where there is a product uh, that uh, is uh, imp exported from, say, the U.S. into Russia, and the franchise relies on that product in order to be able to operate, uh, then maybe the franchisor has some practical leverage to shut down operations. But other than that, I mean, all these food brands that have been talked about in the press, they all have standards. They all have products that are, you know, whether it's the best uh, slice of meat in the world or not, it doesn't matter. It's their standard. It's their slice of meat. So, it won't, it won't match what the standards are. I'm sure the supply is already running out um, and uh, they just won't care. They'll just carry on business and ignore what the franchisor has to say. And, um, you know, it's often said, and I'm sure Bill would agree with this in the context of international franchising, it always was as important who you are dealing with as what your contract said. Uh, because in a lot of these countries, you know, absent the Western, uh, you know, Western economies, you could not trust the court system. You could not necessarily trust who you're doing business with. You could not necessarily trust the government. And so you're sort of always been holding your nose and hoping you're entering into business with somebody you can trust. That's always been more important what the contract says. And this just brings that home because... You know, we can write the, as lawyers the best contracts in the world, but if you don't have courts to enforce them, you can't get in the country. Uh, the country is uh, flouting all laws of of all kinds. Um, what are you going to do about it? So, so let's uh, that, let's kill all the lawyers because that ensured <laughs> chaos. He wasn't actually advocating for that. He was just saying that is one way to ensure chaos. So let's uh, cross the border for a moment and talk about Ukraine itself. Uh, does war or turmoil allow companies to stop operations for the franchised units uh, that are effect that are in the affected area? And if so, what does that mean for their employees or the future of their businesses? Oh boy, this is a this is another. Uh, this case is Larry. I don't know about you. This case is sort of unique in my experience. But uh, I know what's happened with the big U.S. Uh, food and beverage brands in the Ukraine. They had to stop operations. I mean, there just wasn't any way around it when bombs are falling. And um, uh, you know, places where people are gathering are being targeted, for God's sakes. So I know that uh, companies like uh, Yum Brands, which is KFC and Pizza Hut and McDonald's, they've stopped operating, but they're doing their best to take care of their employees as, as much as they can. Um, and does that trigger uh, uh, termination? Well, I would, not being a lawyer, I would hope not. Um, I would hope that they would try to hang in there and, and see if things can come back eventually. But far as I know, the brands I've talked to, they have stopped operating their, their uh, restaurants in the Ukraine uh, and are trying to, I, I know that McDonald's in Kiev uh, has been actually, they took all of their food supplies and distributed it through grocery stores uh, to, because there aren't supplies getting in. Um, so it, and there you're dealing with a country that has, by the way, a rule of law. 
So you, you could probably terminate if you want to. Um, I think that would be uh, reputationally not a good thing to do for the Ukraine. Larry? Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, if there was a force majeure clause in the contract, um, this is actually, if you're in the Ukraine, that is exactly a scenario uh, that it would uh, come into play because there is an actual war in, going on around you. And so franchisors in that scenario would likely not have the right to terminate their contract. Uh, uh, the contract itself would provide that the obligation to perform is suspended for some period of time. It could be three months, it could be six months, it could be indefinite. It depends on what the contract says. But I agree wholeheartedly with Bill, it's not really even a legal question. If there are bombs falling and snipers uh, shooting, um, people running restaurants, that's the least of their worries. And, um, you know, uh, paying employees, uh, maybe on your agenda, maybe laudable. Um, are there ATMs in operation? Are the banks open? Can people get money out? Um, what can they buy for their money? Um, it's the saddest of situations for sure when a, a totally developed country gets uh, bombed like that and um, people are living in subway stations and or have become refugees. Larry and Bill, as we start to wrap up today's episode, just a couple of more questions for you. First, is there anything else that's important that we should be thinking about? You know, I think a lot is uh, a lot of uh, media attention has been given to franchise brands and uh, calling them out and publicly shaming them. I've seen uh, media reports effectively doing that, that they are still operating in uh, Russia. And that reveals, I guess, no surprise to people who are in the industry, a complete lack of understanding of how it works, how franchising works. And so uh, I think it's incumbent on those listening to this, those writing in the media, to better explain that just because someone is licensed to use my brand name uh, doesn't mean I have the right to shut them down. In fact, it's the opposite. Typically, they have an obligation to keep on operating um, under the contract. It's not the other way around. Uh, I don't know if this will result in us uh, fancy schmancy lawyers trying to figure out ways to write new things in contracts that we haven't had to write before. Um, I wasn't alive during World War II or World War I to be able to keep that in mind as I'm writing contracts these days, but neither did the, the generation right before me. Isn't that right, Bill? Yeah, I, I think what we uh, what we have here is a unique situation, I believe, and that is that uh, the the sanctions, the things that are keeping our brands from doing business in the country, are coming from the outside. It's not somebody in the country that said you can't operate. And so, uh, perhaps in, in agreements going forward, Larry, there'll be something that addresses sanctions from outside because we've never, not that I know of, if we ever had to worry about this. Um, I, I think that uh, we've got most of the of the U.S. franchise brands have behaved amazingly well in this in this situation. They've tried to stop operations where they can, they have, where they can control it. Um, and uh, I think from a reputational standpoint, that's extremely important. You do, though, I do worry about something, and that is all those people that were employed in those restaurants and shops and whatever for those 400 brands that Yale says have left the country, 
it's just a, an amazingly negative situation on all sides. Yeah, I feel terrible for the people in Russia. Yeah. They didn't start this war. Uh, they're they're, they're uh, dictators war, and um, they can't do anything about it. And they're going to suffer. I mean, their economy is going back to the Soviet era in reality. Uh, it's going to go you know, back uh, not 30 or 40 years, uh, maybe 50, 60, 100 years in its sophistication. It's terrible for everybody. You know, speaking of helping people, you know, the franchise community has always been an incredibly, incredibly altruistic group, caring deeply about how to help, how to give back. Uh, just last year alone and in the United States, uh, franchise business owners contributed more than $1.5 billion and donated 18 million hours of uh, charitable time. Uh, one thing that we have running at the IFA Foundation website uh, is a list of opportunities to help the people of Ukraine. Uh, our listeners can check that out at uh, franchisinggivesback.org backslash help Ukraine. But Bill and Larry, what are some other uh, ways that folks in the franchise sector can help the people of Ukraine? Well, uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, Bill, um, uh, some of the brands have, that have had to stop have distributed food from their inventories, you know, into the uh, into stores. Uh, uh, I was actually, before this podcast, I was talking to a friend of mine who was based in Kiev and uh, is talking about he and his wife and two teenage daughters what they had to go through to get out. It was just unbelievable. And now they're in a Western country. And uh, uh, the thing, the thing is that they, they said that the, 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 the grocery stores, I mean, and everything, you know, cleared out immediately. Bottled water was gone, uh, electricity, those sort of things. Uh, I don't know how we can, other than an airlift, a Berlin airlift <laughs> of, of, of products and uh, going in, I don't know how we can and help other than uh, to hope for the best uh, here and uh, support those uh, people that work in, in U.S. brands in places like this as strongly as we can. Remember what McDonald's is doing, and, and I'm not a big, I'm not a biased towards McDonald's, but they're going to pay their employees in Russia. Um, and uh, I think that's, uh, that's an amazing thing to do. Um, Obviously not appreciated probably by some people, but um, it's kind of the way franchising works. Franchising is a big family. And having uh, worked on uh, almost 40 brands in over 30 countries, I know that those licensees and the franchisor become family together. And when something like this happens, you know, our, our biggest worry, I know we're supposed to worry about the bottom line, but our biggest worry is what's happening with the people what's happening with the, the people who've made all the investment. Think of all those franchisees in Russia that have made all that investment into those restaurants. Millions of dollars uh, per restaurant sometimes. So um, I, I think we just need to be uh, figuring out any way we can help, um, especially in the Ukraine. In Russia, uh, I'm not sure what's gonna happen. It, it's, uh, I noticed that somebody's filed a new trademark that looks like the McDonald's uh, arches, but it's sideways with a bar on it. So it looks like a B and they're gonna operate restaurants under Uncle Varna. That's gonna be the brand. <laughs> so that tells you something about the intellectual property protection in the, in the country of Russia. And I will leave it at that. 
I would only add that there are international aid organizations, Red Cross, et cetera, that are helping the people in Ukraine and uh, we should all contribute to those efforts. Uh, our government- Yeah, there are some franchise, there's some franchise brands in the US that are having uh, asked some of their, asked their units to, uh, you know, take their sales for certain days and, and put it into Red Cross. Uh, Red Cross is there in Ukraine. Uh, whether they're able to move around very much with all the shooting going on, I don't know. But that's, I think Larry's right. Red Cross is probably a great place to, uh, to put your money to help the people in Ukraine. You know, no matter what the topic is, Bill, it feels like the subject always comes back around to the franchise family. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. I want to thank Bill Edwards and Larry Weinberg for joining us today on Franchise Voice. For Bill Meyerling, I'm Jack Munson, and this is the International Franchise Association's podcast. <laughs>